What was passing touchdowns that year? Uh, TD. You son of a bitch. <laughs> Nate Hobbs with 21. <laughs> First in the nation, baby. Off of the tires. Hello and welcome to At The 55, your home for OUA football. After some outrageous technical difficulties on my part, we are here. It is Tom, it is Nate, and myself, and we are setting up the U Sports semifinals with the UTEC and the Mitchell Bowl. Nate, two years in a row, your Queens Golden Gales on the cusp of getting to this point. How you doing? How you doing now? An extra little bit, extra little week off of the uh, the loss to Western. How, what's the what's the word? What's the buzz coming from the Golden Gales sides of things? Uh, you know, there's a lot of optimism for the future. You know. Uh, but unfortunately, right now we're feeling a bit, a bit like the Michigan to the Ohio State, let's say, in terms of of what's been going on recently. And I mean, you can look at, and that's not just the past two years; that's the past uh, ten years or so. You know what I mean? So, uh, you know, but we're we're on the right path. You know, we're on the the road to glory, so to speak. If you're you're an NCAA football game fan, you know, so nothing nothing but positive vibes for me and the Gales. Now, Tom, you're nearly as big a Michigan fan as you are a uh, a Joey Zorn Windsor Lancer fan. Uh, sort of vibing off that comment. Uh, having more time with the OUA season wrapped up, what are your kind of off the jump thoughts as we uh, enter the U Sports semis here and then approach the Vanier? Well, uh, I will start off by saying uh, at least Michigan beat Ohio State last year, so that was a <laughs> hell of a win. Uh, but I am very excited for this weekend of games. Um, anytime you get down to the final four teams and all of the few sports, it's always going to be exciting. And honestly, man, I am a you know McMaster grad. I coached at Guelph, but I am riding with these ponies. Um, they are a fun team to watch, and I can't wait to see how far they can go. Well, and obviously the ponies for those who uh, follow our content are the team that we're most familiar with and we'll kind of get into these games and I know both of you at least have been doing more uh, and Tom especially a little more digging into the three other conference champs than than I can say I have myself but I, I think it's important really looking at you know we talked about last week how the story of the the sort of contrast of the OUA to the rest of the league as far as the OUA becoming this Nate you made sort of the SEC comparison run the damn ball play hard nosed defense and then all these other conferences kind of getting into this sort of air raid offense and obviously we talked a little bit about Arnaud Desjardins about Mason Nyus and then we got uh, Fagnan coming out of St. FX also having some pretty good uh, numbers on the year Um, but we kind of talked about that you know it's not far afield from the OUA having numbers like this so I want to play a quick little game I'm going to throw you away we're going to call it how many and who? We're going to go back through the last couple of years because this is a year where when we look at the top five, oh, pardon me, U Sports producers in yards per game. We got Sask, Laval, Alberta, Montreal, and Concordia. Our top representative coming out of the OUA is Mr. Andreas Duick sitting in ninth, followed closely behind by Taryn Young out of Carlton at 237 and 233 apiece. So here's the, here's the gist of it. I'm going to start with, let me think, let me think. I'll throw first to... We'll throw first to uh, Tom. So we're going to go back to 2020. Top five U Sports yards per game producers. Top you mean, five. You mean last year? 
Oh, my apologies. 2021. My apologies. I got I, so, so many technical difficulties off the jump. I don't even know what year it is. Let's go back to the short and truncated U Sports season of 2021 coming off of COVID. From what you can remember, how many and who, out of as far as OUA quarterbacks in the top five? How many, if any, and who? Tom Sterling. 2021, which would have seen... The likes of McMaster fall because they were, it was a shortened season, three and three. So I'm not thinking that it's Andreas Duick. Tanner DeYoung got injured last year. So if I had to guess, I would say, you know what, three and three Duick. You know what, I'm going to say one, and I am going to say Andreas Duick. Um, and I will guess, completely guess, that he's around 241. So one might think that there'd be one out of the OUA since an OUA quarterback won the heck in Trey Ford. However, not even he cracked the top five. We didn't have a single OUA quarterback in the top five in 2021. Our highest producer was Trey at 244. So that's two years in a row, short and seasoned as it was with no top five producers. Uh, As Nate obviously uh, saved my bacon there a second ago, uh, no 2020 season. So Nate, we're going back to 2019 top five U Sports quarterback producers. How many, if any, and who? Yeah. So, I mean, looking back to 2019, you have Merchant still kicking around there. And if I'm not mistaken, he also won the Heck Creighton, right, in 2019? I believe so. him, and I think, you know, Trey Forrest last year wasn't good good throwing the football. But if I remember correctly, his other seasons were pretty darn good. Um, at least when I was playing. So I would I would imagine that continued into 2019. Um, but, you know, it's it's hard seeing Western getting to the top five throwing. So I'm just going to say one. I'm going to say Trey Ford. So 2019, we had... 2019, we had three OUA quarterbacks in the top five going one, two, and three, neither of whom were Trey Ford. And this is not turning, it's supposed to be turning into some like Trey Ford reality, like, you know, exp- hot take, whatever type thing. We had Clay Sakara leading the nation at 327, Andreas Duick at 3039, and then Chris Merchant at 297 in 2019. I want to do this twice over, uh, going back to 2018. I'm going to pass it back to Tom Sterling. How many, if any, and who in the 2018 OUA season? Okay, well, height of well, Chris Merchant and him really doing well. They go to back to back Vanniers that year, so I'm gotta say at least he's gotta be in there. Um, we keep saying Trey Ford, so I'm gonna I'm gonna hold off on that one and see if this is the the year that he comes back. But um, I'm gonna go with two: uh, Chris Merchant and Clay Sakara. There were two. You were right on that front, but you have neither of the names correctly. We had Chris Merchant at 11th in U Sports at 263. Clay Sakara, I'm 14 at 218. Not in the top five, but also above Clay at number eight. Brett Hunchak, back when York had a functional offense at 281. And above him by a yard, former Carlton Raven QB and Michael Aruda. That leaves the question. Who are the two OUA quarterbacks in the top five? Nate Hobbs, who are the two top five quarterbacks out of the OUA in 2018? Well, that means one's got to be Trey Ford at least, right? (laughs) Number two, number two at 352. Who is the second? Who is the second OUA quarterback? Come on. 
I, this is embarrassing, but I remember my number. I believe it's 333 per game. It's on the freaking dot. Yeah. Oh, my God. My fourth? This guy. You must have that just printed on your wall. Nate Hobbs, fourth in the nation. All you sports at 333 yards on the dot. Trey Ford, second at 352. Some guy named Adam Sinagra at 404 yards. Um, first overall in the nation. I don't know. He must have had some kind of quarterback whisperer helping him out. Um, that you will. Do we go back one more year? Let's go back just one more year. 2017. I guess, Nate, we'll start with you. How many, if any, and who? Mm-mm-mm-mm. I know for sure two. The question is if there's a third. And I think there's a third. Is there a third? I know it was me and Mike Neville. Yes, sir. Well, my question is, is Trey Ford there again? <laughs> again, again, is he there? I know there was one year he was at like 350 or something stupid, but I can't remember if that was 2018 or 17. Just, uh, let's, let's, yeah. banter, let's banter around. Who else would have been there in 2017? Uh, we got Laurier knocked down. I mean, Mac Duke was still young. Asher Hastings wasn't still there at that point, was he? Our highest Mac uh, Mac quarterback coming in at number nineteen, Jackson White, I bet. Mr. Jackson White, at a, at a, at a two seventeen. You know, but you know, doing his thing. Um, and we do have a Waterloo quarterback. Um, but uh, Lucas one McConnell. Lucas McConnell. Look at you go. Um. So yes, we had uh, Michael Neville sitting top in the nation at 324. Number five, Nate Hobbs at number three on our list at 321. And then our next highest quarterbacks was once again Michael Aruda out of Carlton. Those Aruda offenses were I, I, I was digging those. You must you probably had some good battles against those Ravens. And then my guy, where is he at? Where is he at? I swear I saw his name on here. We got James Roberts at 15, just behind Chris Merchant. Um, and what was a uh... What was passing touchdowns that year? Uh, TD. You son of a bitch. <laughs> Nate Hobbs with 21. <laughs> First in the nation, baby. Pumping the tires. Oh, my goodness. That is uh, that is primetime content right there. Um, so let's go from, you know, the days of yore to the days of now and take a look at some of these. Uh, let's start with maybe a couple of these quarterbacks that, you know, we set up a little bit about them um, when we were doing our breakdown of the conference championship weeks. Um but some of these guys, maybe um, you two have a deeper insight into. Um, Tom, you obviously talked about how you've been breaking down the game. But, Nate, let's start with you, because I know you talked a bit about Mason Nice and just the year he's been having um, for Saskatchewan. Um, you know, even if it's a bit of a repeat of some of the things you were saying, um, what makes this what makes this young man so special? Because, I mean, the numbers are, are pretty outstanding across the board. And, uh, you know, looking back on the season for Saskatchewan, a uh, sole loss to UBC, um, even though they beat them then two other times, including in the uh, bowl game that we just saw. Um, and, you know, a pretty, you know, pretty outstanding year for those Huskies with uh, Mason at the helm. Yeah, he's he's a really special player in the fact that he's obviously as a quarterback, commander of the offense, blah, blah, blah. He's got great stats. But the thing that I really love about this kid is that his heart to win never really seems to give up. And that comes from experience. 
Obviously, Saskatchewan was in the, the big show last year. They lost to uh, the Western Mustangs. But in the UTech ball last year, Saskatchewan goes up against the University of Montreal. And on the last drive of the fourth quarter, Mason leads his team down the field to score and to win the game to go to the Vanier Cup. That takes grit. That takes confidence. And now, having understood that, you can go through something like a past Hardy Cup here where you don't score a a touchdown on the offensive side until the end of the third quarter. And UBC is in the mix the entire time, but there's no quit there's no worries on that Saskatchewan Husky team because they are you know what we've done this before we can do this again and I think the experiences that this kid has had being a fifth-year quarterback being the Can West player of the year I think that's going to lead a lot into the success of the Saskatchewan Huskies and and real quick because maybe how I want to my next question I guess I'll pass it to Nate maybe I am just low-key starting our analysis of the UTEC Bowl, but you know it's easy to just shrug at the AUS football just from where they've been of years past, and you kind of look at how. I mean, there's also the point that like Saint effects. You know, it's one thing when you know whichever team's coming out of there, perhaps they're winning against weaker competition, but they also weren't really being challenged. And we've kind of played around with that as a theme, and it's a classic sports cliche of. When you're not challenged, does that harden you for getting into the you know deeper levels of playoff competition when you know that the stakes are higher and higher and the competition's just rising and rising? But to their credit, you know, especially thinking about going up against a team that is obviously pass heavy and has such a stud um, at QB for Saskatchewan. You look at some of the defensive stats for the Saint FX team, second in the nation in sacks, getting after the quarterback, first in the nation in interceptions. Um, you know, and, and I know we're, you know, you know, we're not breaking down every minute of film of of these teams like we do with the OUA. Um, but you know, Nate, when you think about sort of these cross conference games and new competition and all that, when you compare, you know, AUS and and what Can West football is about, like, is there a sort of you know we talked about the sort of styles making fights? Does that seem like maybe? You know, obviously, we'll get to the running game of Saint Effects because that's obviously you know where they've had the most success. But what do you sort of make of at least on the surface, uh, if we can take the possible difference in competition out of it? How you know for what it's worth, you look at what Saint Effects has done defensively and they've been one of the best in the country. Yeah, I think the comment that you made about sort of the the level of competition and being tested and that is a, is a valid point in most cases. But when I think about, you know, with all due respect to AUS football, um, over the past few years, how they performed, you know, if I'm going to have hope in the team, I want to see them blowing everybody out. You know what I mean? I'm going to want to see you run the conference, no problem, and really be on a different level than them because – Let's be honest. It's a conference that hasn't been in the Vanier Cup since 2007. That's a cool 15 years uh, for those 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 math uh, nerds out there that that can do that quickly. Uh, <laughs> but you know, like that's the thing is they have to be head and shoulders above for for me to even think they have a shot, right? And I mean, you know, even just looking at the, you know, some closer games early in the season, but really getting into kind of the second half. Um, really convincing victories throughout the way. And I think, you know, it has to make me feel pretty, con- I mean, as confident as I can be um, about them. And, you know, it really has been the defense that's the key part of that team. And as much as, you know, I look at the running back who's very good. I look at the quarterback who's rock solid. 
But, I mean, that defense has carried them. And you look at sort of, in general, the turnover uh, margin for them. You mentioned 14 picks, 10 fumble recoveries as well. Um, You know, like this is a team that is capable of turning you over. And, you know, it makes me think that, you know, when you're in your situation, you're at home and you know what? On its face, your opponent's better than you. That's that's your ticket. If you want to have a chance, it's going to be able to turn the ball over. Can I get pressure on the quarterback? Um, This team's been able to do it out east. Um, and you know, the question for me is, you know, how, how big is that disparity? You know what I mean? Because they've done it at such a high level where they are ranked first in the country in terms of statistics. So it makes me want to say they're, they're as capable as, you know, any other AUS team we've seen over the past few years. And Tom, we obviously, you know, we talked a bit about what Malcolm Busey did for them running the ball, but you know, we kind of, I think we touched on this in talking about these games somewhat in the periphery of it all, but it definitely came up when we just talked about how Queens uh, ended up perhaps getting out of their desired game plan against Western, which is just like, even if you want to run the ball, once you get down a few scores, you, you have to, you have to open up in the passing game and, you know, something to be said um, about the quarterback they have there in Fagan having a pretty good year at St. FX as well. But, you know, once again, kind of just as the OUA outsiders that we are, they definitely seem like, you know, was he's fourth in the nation as far as uh, Busey's production in the run game. Um, we talk about how big Sask is up front, really on both sides of the ball. Um you know, despite not having one outstanding runner in their own right. Well, once again, that comes down to like when you can just pass the ball as effectively as they seemingly can and at will, you just don't need to run it so well. But as, as far as game plans, is there a way that do you think, or let me frame it like this, is Sask going to be able to put up enough points to get St. FX out of their run gaming attack? And is there a way that as Nate was saying, you know, St. FX, as we saw, at least from their AUS competition, they're getting after the quarterback, some of those turnovers, forcing fumbles and things like that. Can they maybe make uh, uh, Saskatchewan a bit more of a run-heavy team, which I'm sure they are more than happy to run the ball with those hogs they got up front. But nonetheless, their bread is buttered with the uh, passing attack of, of, of Nios. So I had the opportunity to watch a couple of both of these games, at the very least, you know, Zach, you and I watched the end of the Hardy Cup there at the last of the fourth quarter, which happened to be, you know, the most exciting part because that's where the majority of the scoring was in this game. But having being able to watch the Loney Bowl as well, both teams, both Saskatchewan and, well, that game, both games, I should say, were kind of started off really, I don't want to say sloppy, but they certainly were not firing on all cylinders here, you know. St. FX's first touchdown comes from a 94-yard punt return from Ben Harrington, and it was incredible for sure, but they don't get on the on the board offensively, at least in a touchdown, until the fourth quarter where Malcolm Busey uh, busts open a 30-yard run for a touchdown. Now, this is a team in Mount Allison, not even talking about like uh the quality of the game or anything like that. This is what the fourth time that you have played against this team. You would think that you would be completely sharp. You'd know your responsibilities. You have an intimate knowledge of the opponent that you're going to be going up against. And there was still so much kind of happening. Now there was a wicked win that was happening throughout the game, which might've affected things. Sure. But I was just, I was hoping to see a little bit more of a tighter run ship in that game. And then you pop over to the UBC Saskatchewan game And it's something similar, right? 
the first offensive touchdown from Saskatchewan doesn't come until the very last play of the third quarter. And even their last touchdown that they get in the fourth quarter comes off of a, a gift of a screen pick on the five yard line that is just kind of walked into the end zone. So no team really dominated in these games kind of going forward here. Now, I don't want that to seem like, oh, it could be anybody's game. I still think that the all of the favor and all of the um, advantage goes towards Saskatchewan just for the quality of the opponents that they have been playing and even just the stigma around the AUS. Like Nate kind of said, unfortunately for any team that's out there, I'm not going to be convinced that the quality of the game is similar until you start seeing blowouts happening and you start to see really competitive games happening here. Matter of fact, the last time that I can remember an AUS team even being ranked above one of the other three conferences was, I think, in 2011 when McMaster played against Acadia. Not many people remember, but in 2011, that MAC team that won the Vanier Cup, we were ranked fourth in the country behind Acadia, Calgary, and Laval. So I don't even remember the last time that that kind of happened past that, or if there was a time before then, it certainly wasn't deserved because they have been completely you know, pretty consistently being blown out here, but I am, I don't know. I'd like to see both teams put together very clean games going into this one. This is the semifinals for the freaking Banyay cup. This is where you got to play your best football. No, absolutely. And, and you kind of talking about, and, and you, you know, both made really great points in, in, um, in references to these two teams, but in Tom talking about maybe Sask and, and, and St. FX not having their, their cleanest games, I guess, to sort of allude to the way you framed it just there. And you look at going back to that Loney ball. I mean, Mount Allison, you know, 206 passing yards and controlling the ball for five additional uh, minutes where it's like, you know, you think that, okay, if St. FX is going to be this, you know, run pound and ground team that they are, um, you'd think that that would swing into their favor. And of course, as well, if they're getting beat in the passing game um, to Mount Allison, not to you know take away from um, what they're doing out there, but that, you know, hey, Saskatchewan, you know, probably is likely the, the, the taller task to have to deal with. Um, and and Nate, you talking about you know going back 15 years to uh, that that Vanya, which I believe would have been was that the St. Mary's Saskatchewan Vanya? Was that yeah? I think I was actually at that with my old man. Um, like I'm I'm guessing us like most people, most prognosticators, fans, followers, anywhere on that spectrum are you know calling for Saskatchewan um, to make the trip down to to London in uh, you know an, another week's time. Um, like aside from just absolute every 50-50 ball and and you know every weird wild thing that can happen on a on a football field going uh St. FX's way i mean you highlighted it you got to have some more just dominance in the regular season to really think that we come to this point and you might have a shot even without having those indicators early on not to put it so bluntly but like aside from once again all those 50-50 balls and all the other like you know, any given Sunday, Saturday type attitude, like they got a shot at this at all? Or is this, you know, is this just clearly uh, Saskatchewan's game to lose? I mean, if there is any case, you're going to need another one of those wicked wins out there to try and uh, neutralize that Saskatchewan passing game for you a bit. And you're going to need to turn them over. And, and you know, you're right. <laughs> a, lot, a lot of bounces to go your way, I think. And, Look, I mean, it's not to say that it's impossible, but I certainly uh, would not feel comfortable waging around it or anything like that. You know, yeah, like it's not even 
in the, in the realm of crossing my mind, you know, to me, this is as big as a lock as it comes. And it's one thing to just take it on its face and to say, you know, it's can West and it's AUS, but this is not like just any other, you know, can West champ. You know what I mean? This is a team that made it to the Vanier last year, the team that's been tested, you know, in tight games, you know, losing the Western in the Vanier, but, uh, you know, as we all remember pulling out that game against Montreal um, and, you know, you have a head creating quarterback, a candidate at quarterback, uh, just looking at this group and everything that it's went through, um, you know what I mean? It just, I don't see them a way for them going out like this um, in a semifinal. You know what I mean? It feels like, you know, they they will make it to the final. Tom, as far as, once again, us all being, you know, riding the green wave or, you know, however we want to frame it um, with the imagery, as far as, you know, the two possible opponents assuming Sask does take care of business and you know we'll say it again they are they're taking their show on the road um and we'll we'll talk about Laval and Western obviously in just a moment but sort of knowing the challenge that those two teams um, bring to the table and knowing that it could be a home game for Western in in the Vanier uh any things in particular you're looking to see for Saskatchewan going into this UTEC bowl that albeit against the you know the the, the lesser of the four uh, semifinalists, but things that'll give you uh, you know confidence that it's okay. You know what they're they're ready to take on either of these two you know behemoths that are pr- playing in a game that I'm sure many people are calling the true Vanier Cup in the Mitchell. Yeah, I think that Saskatchewan needs to be able to execute and execute their base packages very well against this team i like if you start seeing the saskatchewan huskies start to do like a triple option or a triple reverse throw down the field to the quarterback kind of thing and they start getting into that kind of playbook in order to win you know that's going to spell a lot of trouble for whoever they play in the next game after that and something else to kind of note here and what i don't think a lot of people who haven't been in that um in the national semis or in the Vanier kind of understand either is that when you get game film on your opponents, you only get three games. So if, for example, Saskatchewan happens to win this game, they go on to play whoever they would only get the national semifinal game, the Hardy cup, and then the semi, the national or the Hardy cup semi uh, semifinal. So whatever you've done before that in the regular season or anything else, everybody who's out of conference has no idea what to expect here. So the more basic that you can keep your offense and your defense and what you're showing, the less you give to your opponents and kind of saying, oh, you know, we did see this blitz in the Hardy Cup a little bit, but, you know, that doesn't seem like that's their bread and butter because that's what we haven't seen before or whatever and try to, you know, almost fake out the opponent that you're going to see because they don't have film for the entire year. I can tell you from experience, that is exactly what the 2012 Laval Rouge or did to us at McMaster. They had us all kinds of flip turn upside down because they were showing stuff that we had no idea we hadn't seen before. And they were preparing what seemed like exactly for us. So if you can utilize that and use that to your advantage, that is a huge advantage going into the Vanier Cup afterwards. I want to see Mason Nias get this offense going. I want. I would love to see Riker Frank get a little bit more into the action. The last game, UBC really shut down their running attack and really has to do with the big boys up front for UBC rather than Saskatchewan not really being able to run the ball. So 
like I said, I want to see Saskatchewan execute. I want to see them with just a base package really be able to move the ball and uh, impose their will here. And I think if they are able to do that, that sets them on a right path to get into the Vanier Cup. You do not want to have any questions or any lingering questions about the game before when you're going into the national championship. That film session from these national semifinals needs to be nice and quick. Hey, just a couple things here and there. we got to tighten up, and then we are right in to one of, if not the biggest game of our careers. Well, however that one plays out, as I was setting up, it will no doubt, despite the fact that we have the bit of the time separation, the 1 o'clock start from out east, and then the 3 o'clock start from here in London, I have to imagine, even despite that, all eyes are on this Mitchell Bowl. So let's spare no more time in, in talking about this a little bit. Um, and there's there's a, a decent little imagery, I think, it, happening in this game as well when we talk about a team in, in Western. In you know, We've talked about them so much this year, obviously with their dominance through the OUA. When we look at what they do on the ground to say, you know, to start with the obvious point, first in the nation at 292 yards per game. But then, of course, similarly in the contrast we set up with Sask and with St. Effects, Laval second in the nation in passing. And, you know, of course, we talk about that that whole idea that like, when you really dominate in one area, you don't have to necessarily invest as much time or, or effort into the other with Western sitting 10th in the nation. Um despite all the, uh, the the fantastic performances that we've seen uh, from Hillock throughout the year. Um, you know, we, we talked a bit about the imagery of this game, the Rouge or the Purple Ponies at, uh, at Western Alumni Stadium. Um, last matchup, I believe, was the 2018 Vanier. It all, it, 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 which feels so so far away like it's almost i almost had a you know i'm almost gonna double check myself on that it, it just seems like this is a, a matchup that in some ways perhaps is has been it's, it's nice that it's actually a bit spar, a sparse in, in the way that they uh do end up squaring up um but it's usually a pretty special time uh, when we do get it nate obviously when we go back to that 2018 laval victory in quebec city um you know we're looking at two you know, much different franchises. You know, Chris Merch on one side. I think we still had, it was still the Matthew Betts era uh, for Laval. Um, what are sort of because you obviously would have you know still been kicking around the OUA yourself back then. You know, what do you kind of remember from that era, that version of Laval and Western? Of course, that was the matchup the year prior as well with Western winning the first matchup in that back-to-back. And then with this, this new iteration of this, of this, of this great rivalry. Well, 2018, I remember choking away a three point loss to Western at home, but that's neither here nor there. Um, (laughs) But I mean, look, you're absolutely right that this is like two very different teams. I mean, you look back at, at that Western team and, you know, you had a guy like Alex Taylor in the backfield alongside Cedric Joseph and, you know, really kind of a thunder and lightning there with Joseph being the more physical of the two and, you know, Alex Taylor being able to do so many different things out of the backfield where, I mean, now you look at it and it's like you have these two huge physical, <laughs> physically imposing guys back there that seem, you know, just as fast and able to move as Taylor was. And I mean, you know, I, I almost venture to say that I, I'm more terrified of this current iteration of the Western backfield um, you know, and, and you have a situation where they don't have to run the quarterback. You know what I mean? 
Um, you're in a situation where Merchant had to run the ball a lot for those teams. Um, and, you know, he felt the brunt of it by by the end of the season in a lot of cases. I remember, you know, watching that game. I'm, I'm sure he was grabbing his ribs on a couple different occasions. So having, you know, again, Western going this game with a pretty healthy backfield, healthy quarterback, um, they have to be feeling pretty good. But for me, I agree with you in that it's it's the case of these, you know, different styles, let's call it, where these teams haven't really seen anything like the other team to this point in the season. And you look at Western and the way they're able to run the ball, there's obviously no one in the country that really compares. But in Quebec, the the not a lot of great teams running the ball. Uh, you know, you look at the top 10 stats and there's just not a lot there. But you look at passing the ball and that's where you find these Quebec teams, you know, inside of it's so interesting to see kind of where these two conferences have gone offensively over the past couple of years. And I think that's going to pose a different problem for Western. I mean, as much as I love all the talent we have in the OUA, I don't think we really come close to sort of the Desjardins Metal connection that Laval has out there. Um, and I think it's really going to come down to, you know, Western has such this great passing defense, but they don't face a lot of passing teams. So how much does that play into it? You know what I mean? So as much as I go in this game and I think I know what, what I'm going to see, I really, I, I'm not sure because, I don't think either teams have had a matchup quite like this so far this year. I guess the only thing I could really say as well as kind of Laval being in a few close games already this year, whereas Western, I mean, getting out comfortably time and time again. So um, whatever edge you want to call it there, um, I would give it to Laval, but obviously there's a reason why Western hasn't been in close games. So. Yeah, and and we should probably you know spend a little more time talking about Mittal and Desjardins, and especially you know thinking about the fact that uh, you know it hasn't really come back to bite Western this year in part because of what you were saying there, Nate. That there really isn't a team in the OUA that can stack up. Yeah, I think to, just to put it in context, the yeah. best passing offense is Mac, and you know we've all watched that team play. Uh, they certainly don't strike uh, you know any kind of fear into my heart. So. Mm-hmm. 100%. And what that's really not had to bring to light is this is a team that hasn't had Kojo Odoom for pretty much the whole season. And this could be that moment where it's like, hey, remember when, you know, the rookie of the year from a few years back and a guy that's going to be, you know, talked, we're going to be talking about in a few more months as we get near draft time, uh, you know, tore up his knee and he was gone. Yeah, <laughs> we got, you know, got to bring that back in the conversation. So definitely worth talking about the 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 passing dynamic in this one. But Tom, once again, drawing on, on your experience um, you know, in, in these types of affairs and specifically playing games in Quebec, um, in the London Free Press, they had a great quote from, from Greg Marshall talking about going back to that 2018 matchup of just how they were going everything silent count because of how darn loud it is. You talked about the 9,000 strong out for that preseason game. Now, as excited as I am going to be at this game for what's going to be a great atmosphere, uh, you know, I, I still don't think it will necessarily compare to that. But once again, kind of comparing OUA and Quebec football or Ontario and Quebec football from this sort of cultural standpoint of it, Laval's no doubt much more seasoned in dealing with pretty hostile environments, which... Once again, I think London and, and, and uh, Western at its most 
hostile to just use that term again probably still doesn't really compare to what they deal with in Quebec so just thinking about that comment from Marshall talking about that added aspect of having to go into Quebec and take on these top tier teams in their own backyard something that you've had to do um, on, on more than one occasion how do you now feel having flipped flipping the script do you feel that Laval is much more apt to come into um, London from this standpoint uh, thinking about that sort of off the field aspect which does in a very real way as once again going back to this Greg Marshall quote affect how you need to prepare and game plan yeah I think it certainly adds something for the Ontario team being able to play in Ontario not having to worry about the avid fans that are out in uh, Quebec which honestly is it's very difficult don't get me wrong but it is a hell of an environment to be able to play in you know you look at the Laval Rouge attendance numbers they averaged just under 12,000 people every single game. And those are the, you know, the blowout games and everything else. Their highest number was over 23,000 people. So they're used to these large crowds. And I can tell you that RSEQ fans are a different level. They are avid, they are loud, and they will get in your face. Not anything nearly as bad as what I've seen in the OUA. So I think it's an extra adage point for the Ontario team that they don't have to deal with that. But I don't think it's a negative for the Quebec team because I don't think they would have to deal with anything as bad that's out there. Unfortunately, we just don't have the same level of diehardness in Ontario that they do out in Quebec. Um, But this Laval team is really interesting to me. Um, I don't think that they've really found – well prior to this year anyways, I don't think that they really were confident that they found the replacement for Hugo Richard back in the 2018 season. They kind of bounced around with a couple of quarterbacks, Thomas uh, Bolduck, and I apologize if my English accent is butchering that. Um, it kind of had a couple of people, and then just at the beginning of the season, they said, you know what, Arnaud Desjardins, he is our man. We are going with him, and he's put together a pretty good campaign. You know, he's second in the individual uh, yards per game for with 319. He's the first in uh, passing touchdowns here. He's a part of a very high-powered offense, which is number three in the country. So they are very impressive. Obviously, he's got a whole bunch of uh, weapons around him as well that make him really, really dangerous. You know, Kevin Mittal, who is their RSEQ player of the year, and has spent a little bit of time down the States along with their other receiver, Frederick Antoine, who actually was down in old dominion for a number of years and then decided to come back up for the love of the game. So you've got a few guys who have got that American experience, who know, who understand the level that most of those American coaches ask of them. And I think that's pretty much on par with what the Laval Rouge or standard is. So There's a lot of different things that are happening with this. Desjardins really stepping into his own, being a little bit more comfortable as a quarterback rather than he was last year or maybe holding onto the ball a little bit too much and forcing quarterback sacks when he didn't really need to. But this is a very good Western team as well. So the, the, the lines on here are very, very interesting to kind of look into. And, of course, the lines are so pertinent when it comes to the run game. And once again, drawing from this free press article out here another really juicy Marshall quote kind of going back to the run game is that as of this article he's saying that Winati's appearance is very 
well, actually, I'll quote him directly, extremely doubtful for Saturday, apparently, and I don't know much about it, about it other than what's in the article, dealing with a personal matter back home, so hoping all the best for him and, you know, what whatever's going on in his life. But, you know, Nate, we're talking, you know, Tom's talking a bit about those weapons in the passing game, talking about what Westerns, you know, the sort of facsimile they've been able to go up against and that, you know, we talked about what a moment that was for Keon, just literally like the, the, the literal put the team on his back dough moment in the Yates. Um, does he have two, at least one more, maybe two more performances against what will undoubtedly be the best teams he plays all season um, if Western wants to get where they want to? Or is this where we finally start to see, and we talked about it a little bit, I know Tom brought this up a bit earlier in the season, of like, you kind of have to, even if you don't need to get, uh, let um, Hillock off the leash a little bit, maybe maybe you need to let him off every now and then just to you know make sure that, you know, that if something were to happen, injury, personal matter, or, or, or what have you down the line, that you just know that the full force of your offense can get going. Um, you know, with the news of, of Wanati seeming extremely doubtful, um, and, and also thinking about what or how Hillock's been used spar- sparringly this year, just with how immensely effective their run game is. What kind of thoughts do you have about how? You know, Western might attack things on the on the offense side of the ball. I mean, I think Keon is going to be Keon, um, but I mean, let's not forget too. You know, it's, it's terrible to hear about Wanati, but I mean, you can't forget about Keanu Yazbek, who had a terrific game against Queens last week. And you know, being at the game, I can't say you know when he carried the ball, I was like, oh, that's their third stringer out there. <laughs> I couldn't really tell, you know what I mean? He looked just as good as the other two guys, just as athletic, just as dangerous. I was just as scared when he was getting the ball, you know what I mean? So, and that says obviously a lot about the O-line and that's what I think it'll come down to um, is really the fronts in this game and who can get the better of who. Um, I think you bring up a really interesting point about Hillock and, you know, I don't think this is, is necessarily fair of me to say, but it just doesn't feel like he's had to make a tremendous amount of plays like off schedule or anything like that. He has of course made some fantastic plays throughout the year. Um, But when I look back at, you know, the Queens game in past games, this is stuff that's really like on schedule, you know, it's, it's making the read, it's making the throw and he he does that fantastically, but um, I'm really interested to see what kind of challenge that Laval can, can bring to him. And if he gets stuck in, you know, second and long situations quite often, you know, is he going to be capable of kind of, elevating this team to the next level because you know what Western didn't see a team come from, from from Quebec last year and the challenge that that brings and it's different when you're playing against 24 year olds you know what I mean and there are no 19 year olds running around on the field for Laval you know what I mean and that makes a tremendous difference in a game like this and you know again going back to that that matchup with the offense I think that is you know what is most interesting to me at least is kind of this Western secondary you had the captain back there, your president's trophy winner and Valente going up against this this tremendous Laval passing attack where you have, you know, Hecray and Canada at receiver uh, and the quarterback just as easily could have been the representative of Quebec. So two extremely talented players there. Um, and just looking back over the years, I mean, Laval doesn't really lose in these semifinals. You know what I mean? I feel like to some extent, I'm curious as what the people think of Quebec, but being in the OUA, I feel like we've heard so much about Western over the past 12 months 
about how, you know, Evan Hillock has won, you know, all these games as a starter. He hasn't lost. You know what I mean? If you're wondering what the betting line in this is, is in this game, Westerns get giving up 12 points at home. That's a lot of points. You know what I mean? So I also feel like there's that kind of factor where, um, you know, Western comes in, hasn't been challenged since the Vanier Cup last year, and you're going to have a Laval team who is Laval, but also I think is going to have this massive chip on their shoulder. So, I mean, really fascinating to watch. I don't know. I'm going to hold off on my pick until until we, uh, you know, get down to it, but... Well, I mean, Tom's over there just biting his tongue when you're saying they haven't been challenged. He's like, what about my Windsor Lancers? Um, <laughs> but, but Tom, I do want to sort of throw the same kind of running game question your way because, you know, whether it's just Keon, and I totally agree Keon's going to be Keon because, like, no one in Quebec even sniffs, like, the the rushing production. And, and, and not to say that, like, every running back in the OUA is that much better, but just the, the way that teams run and, as a result, the way teams have to prep for the run in the OUA. And, and so in, in that regard, you know, I just – I don't know – you know, Laval is. I'm not questioning like any component of their institutional greatness, but when we talk about teams being challenged, whether it's it's the full force of this running game or just Keon Yazbek throwing a little Troy Thompson there as well every now and then, like they haven't seen anything like this since you know probably the last time that they played Western. You know, talking about from that standpoint. Winati not being in there, nonetheless, obviously is huge. What do you kind of make of this development with with Western's running attack, but nonetheless kind of thinking about how these Quebec teams are, and, and once again, it's, 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 it's really everyone but the OUA has been more of a, a pass-focused league. Well, you can see the OUA production in just the rushing yards per game on the year. Four out of the top five uh, leading rushers are from the OUA. Keon Edwards and Edward Renati are both on that list with the only person who's not from the OUA being Malcolm Busey. And you can see how much they're committed to the run themselves. I think if I'm Glenn Constantine, my game plan going into this Western game is we have to stop the run and force Hillock into uncomfortable throws. He's only a second year player. I think they're really going to be focusing in on that Laurier game. Uh, that they'll get in that game film because Evan didn't have a great game there. He threw that pick six. He only went 12 from 19, I think like 130 yards or something along those lines. So he really didn't have a strong showing. Now, obviously in the Yates, much, much different. And even in the snow, he was able to have that production and find his guys and everything. But I wouldn't be surprised if they're really focusing in on that Laurier game to try to see what that game plan was from the Laurier side of things and how they can stop uh, or at least get Evan into those uncomfortable situations, like I said. Now, like you said, there are there is something to say about this team in Laval Rouge or not facing a rushing attack like the Western Mustangs. Every single team has tried the same adage that I just said, oh, we're going to stop the run and then try to force Evan. They are used to that. They are used to the uh, people trying to load up the box, trying to stop people, trying to do whatever. And you know what that leads to? Phenomenal opportunities for play action, throwing the ball down deep, forcing people to get out of out of their crowding the box kind of mentality and try to cover everybody. And then it just sets up for some Keon Edwards taking over the damn game, running the ball, owning the ball, owning the possession time. That's what these Western Mustangs are so good at. Now, 
maybe in that first quarter, maybe Laval does some really great things. I think if Laval can get up and they can get up early, once again, the same messaging that we've been saying, you get Western out of their preferred game plan, and that's where the recipe for success or an upset can kind of come from. But this Western offensive line, I'm going to say, is the best offensive line in the country with the production that they've had and the stable of backs behind them and it not really mattering who is in the backfield with them. Obviously, Keon Edwards is going to be unbelievable no matter what, but the holes that he gets on every single uh, play, what seems like, is just phenomenal in that the state of the Western O-line. I think they established themselves a little bit more, and Laval, for all of the training that they've had, I think this run game is still going to be a very huge factor in this one, and it's not something that you can just toss away and just stop altogether. Yeah, and, and you know, looking at some of the sort of defensive aspects because this is the last sort of thing I want to set before I guess we give our our picks you know both of these teams pretty neck and neck getting after the quarterback as far as QB sacks pretty neck and neck when it comes to interceptions the biggest sort of curiosity for me sort of last point on on Western defensively and I'll sort of let both of you the comment on this or last words you want sort of across the board is that Western's a team traditionally we see they like to sit in their base and and Nate you've been big on it that their front four uh, really came alive in the playoffs and just you know once again going to that Laurier game um, just you know got real nasty but we've also I, I still think back to that first game against Queens where they did seem to have a bit of a off script or a, a change of the script approach of being like Actually, you know what? Uh, we're actually going to bring some heat, and we don't think that you're ready for it. Once again, then this is Nate, where I want you know your perspective as you know former top five twice over you know quarterback in the nation. Um, where you know, hey, also also two two out of the four games against Western over 300 yards passing. So I, you know, maybe, maybe, I don't know, make it that way you will. But Glenn, Glenn Constantine, get Nate Hobbs on the phone. <laughs> um, but, you know, my thinking is that Western will probably come out in the base if they're not having success. Maybe they start to bring some of that pressure. But as, uh, you know, kind of thinking of a, a defense from a quarterback perspective, if they're not getting pressure – well, let's say they want to bring that pressure. I mean, how much of a threat is is it or how much uh, anxiety must a defense have when they know they have uh, an opponent they're going up against with you know, the Desjardins and Mittal connection? Do you think that's going to force them to stay in a little bit of base, which, as we've seen most of the year, has netted them some pretty positive um, performances? But, you know, we talk about offensive lines and we talked about Sask. We talk about this Western. I'm in total agreement with Tom, despite not having as a good an awareness of the other uh, leagues. But, I mean, it's hard to think there are O-lines better than this Western one. But, you know, they, they, they grow them big out in Quebec, too. Do you see Western maybe sitting in more of that base, being a little fearful of that passing attack? Or if they're not getting pressure, do you think they'll want to say, let's make Laval a little uncomfortable? I mean... Montreal's top of the nation when it comes to getting after the quarterback. So clearly, you know, the number of times they played each other, there, there there's something to that. You know, as as from from the quarterback perspective, what do you make of that aspect of this game? I think, you know, it depends on how Western feels about their capability of getting burned. Because it's one thing to say, you know, we're gonna put our guys up against yours or we're gonna see if we can get there, but it's you know. Who, who's going to kill us if we decide to do that? You know what I mean? 
And are you going to throw a little screen the one time? Because when you send that pressure, all it takes is one tackle to get broken and then you're screwed, right? So when it comes down to this Laval team, I mean, their ability to execute screens and everything, but I think from a quarterback perspective and kind of facing pressure in the passes is do I have trust in my guy, you know, and it d- does depend on what your system is for beating pressure, but, you know, hot routes does seem to be, you know, the norm across the country, but am I going to trust my guy to recognize it and snap it off and be there? You know what I mean? And that's kind of my question is, does Desjardins have that guy? And, you know, for example, if it was Mittal being that guy and having him in a one-on-one situation on a quick little in route or something like that is absolutely terrifying. You know what I mean? So from that perspective, it would make me, if I was the Western defensive coordinator, a little bit more hesitant to bring that pressure. Um, and especially in a situation like this where where it's not, you know, you're not playing against Laurier and it's not, you know, first-year starting quarterback Taylor Elgisma back there with his young receivers running deep downfield. You know what I mean? No, no, no. This is not really the same case. Um, and, you know, as much as I love Richard Burton, I think, you know, him and kind of the the, the Quebec MVP there is kind of a different story in terms of explosiveness, right? So um, that would make me hesitant if I'm Western. And, you know, for that reason, I would say, I would say we'll probably not see as much. But going back to the other way, I think, you know, the Laval defense has to absolutely – I mean, Western's going to get what they're going to get in the running game. You know what I mean? They're going to get at least 150 yards or or thereabouts. You know what I mean? Getting Keeping them under 200 would be a win. You know what I mean? If they, they're going to be able to generate some points, some offense throwing the uh, running the ball. But what it comes down to, to me, is kind of Western's ability to make big plays. And that was never more evident against Queens. You know what I mean? And it was points in the game where we knew Western was going to run the ball. We knew they were going to get in positive situations. We knew they were going to move down the field. You know what I mean? But then all of a sudden you have Magnate Jones 50 yards downfield catching a touchdown in a blizzard. And that's something you didn't plan for. You know what I mean? You get Western in the second and long situation. They run play action for an 80-yard touchdown on a simple crossing row. You don't plan for stuff like that. You know what I mean? When you're facing facing this Western team, that's not the stuff you're necessarily preparing for, right? So, um, you know, Western's going to get what they're going to get running the ball. You want to limit that. But, you know, for me at the same time, if you can limit the big plays, that's going to do wonders for your chance in this football game. You know, you talking about if Western chooses to blitz and then depending on who Laval kind of has as that immediate outlet, that hot route, and if it's Mattel, that could spell trouble. And checking the weather a few days out, it doesn't look like it's going to be too snowy. But what came to mind for me immediately was the play that you set up, the Robertson touchdown of a defender coming across the field, and especially in a little messy conditions. That's an awful position when you have a talented receiver and you having your defenders a little flat-footed trying to redirect for maybe their back pedal working laterally now um, and everything like that. Um, So very interesting to see how that nets out. Um, Tom, I had something on on, on the tip of my tongue there. I wanted to throw your way. So I'll just kind of give you last sort of thoughts of this matchup. If it comes uh, back to me, Uh, I'll sort of set that up. But just, you know, what angle have we not sort of looked at this at this point? We've obviously talked about Marshall and Constantine. I mean, do we do we need to have any kind of conversation about those two old dogs themselves? Um, what are your what are your remaining thoughts as as we near uh, the picks for this one? You took the words right out of my mouth. I was just going to go into Greg Marshall and Glenn Constantine. Two of the most legendary coaches in all of U Sports history. Um, Glenn Constantine, obviously, being the number one 
coach in terms of wins throughout all of you sports so far, which is an insane statistic thinking that he's only been coaching at Laval for what, like 18 years, 17 <laughs> years, something along those lines. And he like broke that record like five years ago. So unbelievable, you know, Glenn Constantine, one of the greatest also on that list of wins is Greg Marshall, something to be noting of all of us have obviously played against Western. Every single time you play against Western, are you really worried about the, oh, my God, there's a brand new blitz package. Oh, my God, there's a brand new play. No, you know, for the most part, what you're going to see. Sure, there's might be some variations here and there, but they just win because of the unbelievable talent that is always a part of that Western Mustang team. Now, not to take anything away from Greg Marshall and the rest of the coaching staff. Obviously, they know how to put together a good game plan, but it doesn't really deviate all that much. Glenn Constantine and the staff that he has there are masters at putting together solid game plans for the type of, of opponents that they go up against. You know, I can speak to that obviously even 2011 and 2012, they did great jobs understanding who our you know, big playmakers are and trying to limit that as best as possible. So best bet that they will be coming with what they believe is the best option in order to stop or limit this Western Mustang team. You look at it, even in that Hardy cup, which easily the most exciting out of the four uh, conference championships kind of going on there with Montreal and Laval trading blows going back and forth. Um, the number one sack leader in the nation who, who is uh, Nick. And I apologize if I'm butchering it. Ferrancio. Uh, he <laughs> leads the lead with 10 and a half sacks. Didn't have one in that game. The only two sacks that they gave up to were uh, to Jermaine, who was a linebacker coming off of a blitz. So obviously having an understanding of who their opponents are playing the caravan as much as they do, they, they know what the tendencies are, and how they're doing things here. But like you look at some of the defensive numbers, you know, there's two sacks, like I just said, uh, from Montreal and three tackles for loss. That's not a whole lot. These were two teams that were very much dialed in that were playing some of the best football in the country on that last weekend. Now, Western dealing with a freaking out of nowhere snowstorm like our own Nate Hobbs was dealing with on the sidelines. Uh, they were very sloppy in that first half. You know, the uh, field goal attempt that got blown out. You know, there was snaps that were fumbled on both sides here. We talked about it. A lot of that was due to the weather and everything, but the point still stands. If you do something like that, if you don't come out hot against the Laval Rouge or they will score, they will score often. Kevin Mattel, exactly like Nate Hobbs said, that is a terrifying combination with just a quick little in route, slant route, or even a fade down the sidelines. There's not a whole lot of things that you can do to defend against that, especially when we just talked about the Montreal Caterban um, trying to put together some kind of a game plan here, obviously understanding that Kevin Mattel is their number one guy, and he still finishes with nine catches, 116 yards, and three touchdowns. So it's kind of like, hey, you know what our game plan is. You know who our guys are. You still can't stop us kind of mentality here. So lots of things that kind of lead into this. And my God, this is going to be an exciting game. Well, and which is kind of similar to your second string and second team OUA all-star running back is down. We know you're going to feed it to that beast in Keon Edwards. 
and you're still not going to stop us talking about game plans brought back to memory the question I kind of wanted to set up and uh, Nate I'll, I'll, I'll kind of throw it back to you and then we can get into our picks or if Tom wants to talk on it as well because uh, you know Tom you kind of mentioning about at this point you know the 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 gist of part of what I got out of all that is, you know, at this point in the season, you are who you are. And, you know, you can't really deviate from those game plans because it's such it's just muscle memory at this point, And it's all on tape. And if you have a trick play here and there up your sleeves, um, be it a double reverse or whatever it might be, um, though, maybe Western will stay away from those. Uh, you know, aside from that, you, you just you play your game. But Nate, you were saying something um, before that kind of brought this to mind and just. We've seen, and talking about those explosive plays that you don't necessarily prepare for, and we have seen teams stay close with Western in the first half, and they seemingly pull away. Once again, going to this piece about not having Winati in there, that added you know, ability to just like wear teams down. Tom, we talked all season about how just absolutely dreadful it must be on the other sideline when you see this team go no huddle, and it's it's five, then it's nine, and then it's five. It's just back and forth with those two absolute animals in the backfield. Um but Laval is a different animal in their own right. If you're on that Western sideline, and I don't know how a team could have any more confidence in their game than the Mustangs do, but if it's tight, I you know there, we always have that kind of saying with them and with you know with as we talked about with Queens against opponents that weren't the Western Mustangs this year, it's like you can hang with them, but eventually they're just gonna break your back and break your spirit. Is is there a possibility that late in this game, if it's tighter? For a longer period than it might be, well, now we're having to go to some of those plays and some of those opportunities that you're not really banking on when now it's 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 money time now, too. Um, and if anything, could this set up uh, a phenomenal moment for uh, young Mr. Evan Hillock in sort of the waning moments of this Mitchell Bowl in a tight game where hey, ball is in his hands, it's time to make a play. Uh, maybe it's a little off script. Um, do you kind of see it going that way? Or do you think they'll just keep playing their game and know that like this is how we got here? And that going back to that point about game plans and you are who you are this far into the season, um, how do you think Western, or you know, maybe you can frame it in terms of Montreal, but obviously, probably Laval, but obviously Laval's had tighter games uh, this season as far as if this game's a little tighter, a little longer than you know they've experienced this year. How might that change the game plan late in this ballgame? I think it's interesting. And I mean, you know, going back to the past couple of matchups, you know, Western pulled away in 2017 and Laval pulled away a bit in, in 2018, you know, which is interesting going into this one. But I think, again, going like Western, like it would take a lot for them to get off script. You know what I mean? It would have to be two plus scores. You know what I mean? Because we've seen it. I mean, you, we saw in the, the Vanier Cup last year against Saskatchewan, you know what I mean? Where they were down and next thing you know, they score. It's a 14 to two margin in the third quarter and Western's back up. You know what I mean? So it's going to take a lot for them to get off script. And I think it will be like, as you said, it'll have to be a late game situation. Um, and, you know, again, it's, it's, it's going to come down. If it does come down to that, you know, as much as we talk about the running games and everything like that, it's going to come down to, you know, who's the quarterback that ran for 15 yards on second and long, you know what I mean? In plays like that. And who's just going to dump it to the running back and he's going to go for a big play. You know what I mean? It's just those little things to be able to kind of turn what is almost like a whatever situation into a big play or even just limit a bad play by throwing it out of bounds or and whatnot. Like those small things a quarterback can do at this point in the year, 
um, are so incredibly important. So, um, you know, close or not, I mean, at the end, I think those moments will happen throughout the ball game. So as much as, you know, it's going to become pressure packed at the end, maybe we'll see, but you know, there are going to be a lot of plays that lead up to that situation as well. Right. So I'll be very fascinated to see kind of, you know, when the quarterbacks get in the second and long situation, you know, what's the, what's the play call? What are we doing here? Tom, I'll give you opportunity if you want to comment on that, but other, otherwise I think it's down to, are we getting the 2021 Vanier cup rematch or are we seeing a, a very, uh, Oh, I, I know kind of a, you know, it's, we're getting to the holiday season and kind of Christmassy got the green with the Huskies, a little rouge or from, you know, Laval, you know, tis the season and all that stuff. Are we getting the rematch or are we getting a, from what I quickly pulled up uh, a rematch of a game that we haven't seen since that very same tw- uh, 2007 season. We talked about uh, a little while ago, um, all those 15 years ago between the Huskies and, uh, the Rouge AR. Last thoughts and then uh, let's get it's it's pick time. I think what we kind of collectively agreed is that for the Laval Rouge AR to really win this game, they need to stop the run, get Western out of their normal game plan, and force Evan into uncomfortable situations. I want to make sure, and I want to voice this more than anything don't sleep on Evan Hillock. There was a reason why that kid was the Vanier Cup MVP just last year in his first year as a, uh, not even just as a starter, first year as a student at the University of Western Ontario. The kid is has the capabilities to be great. I think we've kind of detailed this before, but if he was on any other team that didn't have the unbelievable run game that the Western Mustangs have, I think he'd be the OUA MVP and he we'd be in the conversations of, you know, maybe is he going to be a heck Crichton nominee or whatever the case may be. I think he is, he's got a lot of talent for very, uh, what if he was on Guelph? <laughs> Stop it, Nate. Stop it right there. You, he was supposed to be, wasn't he? Uh, yeah, I might've interviewed him right after he's decommitted and recommitted that's okay he's better <laughs> off for it oh, they're not but he been. is yeah it could, come, have been. it could have had trey ford too <laughs> uh but I, I think any way that you slice it this western offense is very dangerous there's no just oh we've shut down one uh, side of things now we're good the passing attack is very good. So Von Magny Jones is a very good wide receiver as well. Now, obviously, this Laval defense is going to have a lot of experience through dealing with a guy like Kevin Mittal and Frederick Antoine and everybody else as well, for sure. But I still think Savon Magny Jones makes a difference in this game. I think Evan Hillock finds a bit of a groove going here. And you don't stop the Western Mustangs from running the ball, even if it's not as aggressive and maybe – uh, Keon Edwards only has 150 yards instead of his normal 200 in these kind of big games or whatever the case. They are going to run the ball. They are going to be successful in a lot of things. I think this game will really be decided in the first and second quarter, the first half. Who is able to come out on top, or at the very least, is this a tight game? Is somebody getting a bit of an advantage here or there? Because both of these teams have the weapons and they have the capabilities to score and score often, quite honestly. I think if 
if something happens like we've seen previously, even in the Laurier game where Western kind of takes a little bit of time and has to get into the groove of things before they really start to establish themselves. If Laval comes out and gets like a two or three touchdown lead in the first and second quarter, that drastically changes what might be going on. If nothing else, you're starting to run out a bit of time here. You got to start scoring. You got to start changing things up a little bit. So I want to see if Western is going to have a, a slow start once again, or if they're going to come out fired up because this is the Rouge or, and this is very much could be the, uh, the, the real Vanier cup. Like you were saying, no disrespect to Saskatchewan Huskies, but these two teams, in my opinion, are the two best teams in U sports right now. So this is going to be a hell of a matchup. I'm really excited to see everything here and I will kick off the picks I'm going with the Western Mustangs. I think that running attack and Heaven Hillock and everything else that they have going on here is enough to edge out the Rouge or Daniel Valente Jr. is going to cover Kevin Mattel as much as he possibly can. He's still going to go off. He's still going to do some really great things here, but they limit him enough that the Western Mustangs come out and they host a Vanier Cup at home. Uh, I'll fall suit on that, if only at least to say off the jump. I mean, if any disrespect uh, was just passed on to Saskatchewan it was truly passed on to St. FX I mean obviously we all picked Saskatchewan in that game already um mentioning the the, the Magne Jones Hillock to Magne Jones connection Evan if you're listening right now I need one of those long sleeve t-shirts Hillock to Magne Jones for six that you posted on your Twitter please please I don't know 3XL of that you gotta ship it my way too <laughs> let's make it happen um if only because I already have my Vanier tickets purchased and I want that event to be as stellar as possible. I'm going to go along with you, Tom, in picking the Western Mustangs in this game. But, oh, my God, I'm so, so excited for it. I, I can't wait. Uh, Nate, uh, though we didn't post them on Instagram, you were the odd duck going against uh, our unison Mustang picks for the Yates. Will you do so again in this matchup? Hmm. A Western sweep, huh? A Western sweep, huh? I mean, I look at this game, I just look at this situation and, you know, watching Western all year, it's so hard. It's so hard to pick against them, especially when, I mean, you know, we obviously aren't around the RSCQ as much and, you know, the ins and outs of this Western team and everything they're good at it, every single player that does well for them. Um, But, you know, I'm, I'm, this is going to sound crazy, but I'm looking at the vibes here. I'm looking at this is a this is a vibes pick what's going down right now. And I look at Western. They've won all these games in a row. Evan Hillock's won 18-0 as a starter. The game's in London. The Vanier Cup's going to be in London. It's, it's just Laval. They barely beat Montreal, right? It all just feels, man, it's too good to be true for me. You know, I think they slip here. They're due. Plain and simple, they're due for a slip-up, and there's no better team than the Laval Rougeau to capitalize on that. And so, you know, maybe I'm biased being a quarterback and going with the passing attack, but... Oh, sorry, that's why you're biased picking against Western? <laughs> that, that's why? <laughs> sorry if I sorry if I uh, broke your concentration there. If it's not clear, I'm, go- I'm going with Laval. All right. Well, I'm more. I'm more than. It's not a, often you get to pick against Western, but within reason, I'm more than happy to do it. 
And hey, but you know what? Totally fair because I hope that as as best we did on this episode, if we did one thing is to, to, you know, really highlight that this will be an outstanding game. And you both highlighted how in those back-to-back Vanier appearances, we did see each squad ultimately pull away and hey, maybe we'll get the same result, which side it'll fall, who knows, but I'm thinking that this one is going to be an absolute fist fight, and because that Saskatchewan St. FX game is earlier, whichever of those teams is is waiting in the Vanier Cup before, you know that they will be having their feet up and just saying, please, fellas, keep on slugging away, and we'll see you in London in a week's time. So uh, enjoy this U Sports semifinals, the U Tech at one, the Mitchell at three o'clock. If you're going to be in London, uh, look for me and my old man, uh, you know, likely not as decked out in the at the 55 gear because we're still working on getting the cold gear going. Uh, But, you know, you just keep probably get the, the drawstring bag out. And maybe the hat. We'll see how cold it's going to be. But enjoy your U Sports semifinal weekend, however you are enjoying it. And we'll talk to you about our two Vanier Cup teams on Monday at the 55.